Good morning, church. Last week, I talked specifically about um, the two ways that we um, do our own thing or we react to Jesus' thing. And one of those ways was Judas, and I characterized him as sort of taking his toys and going home. And Jesus wasn't doing it his way, and so he wasn't going to interact anymore. It is more complicated than that. I want to read this text to you today that talks about this, but this is not um, one of those simple cut and dried things that we're talking about. It's not a made up pastor passage where we go through and we say, this is what's going on. But in the backdrop of the scripture, this has some things for us to say. So let's go. I'm going to read the passage from the, the New Living, and then I'm going to read the passage, or I mean from the ESV, and then I'm going to read the passage from the message, just so you get a different feel for it. So here it is. Are you ready? John 13, 21 through 30. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Je- the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken this morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to buy what they needed for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So that's the, that's the ESV. Here is the New Living, or I'm, I'm sorry, the message. Um, it has a different feel to it. After he said these things, Jesus was visibly upset and then told them why. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. One of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him his head on his shoulder. Peter motioned to him to ask who Jesus might be talking about. So being the closest, he said, Master, who? Jesus said, The one to whom I give this crust after I've dipped it. Then he dipped the crust and gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as the bread was in his hand, Satan entered in. What you must do, said Jesus, do it. Do it and get it over with. No one around the supper table knew why he said this to him, and some thought that since Judas was their treasurer, Jesus was telling him to buy what they needed for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Judas, with a piece of bread, left. It was night. It was night. What is the difference between living in the day 
and living in the night. It's one of the main questions of scripture as we go about doing this is, what does it mean to, to live in the night or live in the day? Now we could get into this discussion about whether Jesus and God choose all their people. We talked about that a little bit last week, that Jesus and God choose, and those whom they choose can't turn around, and those they don't choose can't choose the light. That's not exactly what this is going about, because Jesus clearly picked Judas to be with him, and Judas clearly picked and chose to let this happen and then go into the night. Those are the choices. And so are there any precedents in Scripture? And I say yes. In a lot of ways, Moses and Pharaoh are a lot like this. That Moses, trying to do things in his own power, was living in the night, and then got sent out in the desert to find out what the day would be like. Pharaoh thinks of himself as living in the day, not only living in the day, but the very presence of the sun in the world. Because of his presence, there was light. But he kept choosing and choosing and choosing, and even night is one of those things that happens. Thy word, O God, is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. This is a really big deal about this living in the night and living in the day. Do we have choices? Yes, I think we do. And, and, and I think Judas is the poster child for this, if you will, that Judas got chosen by God to get the best three years that any of us as Christ followers normally even think of. We think of the disciples, and they, they got there to be there with Jesus. They got to see everything. Judas was one of those guys, and he got to see all that stuff. And he chose to leave that and go into the night, to leave the day and go into the night. Now, I just want you to know that soon they're going to be in the, the arrest scene and everybody's going to leave. And we'll talk about that when we get there then. But everybody leaves and flees into the night as soon as Judas does what he's supposed to do. That's, that's not just Judas doing that. That's everybody living and trying to do this in their own power. See, we're Christians. We do things, but we're humans, human Christians. But when we don't submit to the Spirit, when we don't live according to the Spirit, we often choose so poorly that we actually run into the night. Some of them are going to run naked into the night with no covering. They're just going to run. I saw this. The, the thought that keeps occurring to me is that one of the platitudes that, that I don't think works in the Christian life is that Jesus won't give you more than you can handle. That's not true. I mean, not that Second Corinthians that says that we despair even of our own life, but not, not so that we would learn to rely on ourselves, but that we would we learn to rely on God, that this is the essence of God is with you in the midst of stuff that's too much for you to handle. Not only will God not make that 
statement come true that they say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's just not true. Many of us have had more than we can handle. Regularly, we've had more than we can handle. But the mystery of the Spirit and living in the day is that we learn how to rely not on what our strengths are, but on what God's strengths are in the midst of what's too much for us to handle. All of this is the difference between living in the day and living in the night. When we give up and we don't rely on God, we start walking out the door, and for us at that time, it's us living in the night. How do we learn how to rely on God in times that are so difficult we don't know how to do it? This is the process that, that we call maturing in Christ. And I'm going to say it this way, that when I was a baby, or when I was a child, I thought like a child, and when I was an adult, I learned how to think like an adult. Well, how do we learn how to stop thinking like a child and start thinking like an adult? Well, we go through experiences of varying degrees. This is kind of the job of what a parent does with their child. The part of the parent's job really is to make sure that when their kid is old enough to go, they're ready to go and can do that. Now, that doesn't mean of what I'm talking about. If, if there's something going on in the life of the kid that doesn't allow them to reach that spot, I'm not doing that. But you, you help your kids self-differentiate so that when they know who they are, they can be who they are. And if you don't do that before they're 18 or 19, then when that happens, they're going to get lost. One of these experiences is this. The church doesn't often teach its youth how to think through difficult questions of faith. It gives platitudes like, God will give you more than you can handle, which is blatantly not true. But then those kids go off to college, and what happens to their faith life? It's destroyed because they've never learned what the foundation of how, how to think through faith is. And so we haven't taught them to live in the light. Here's how we learn how to do that. Nobody picks up a 10-speed bicycle and just rides it. Nobody gets on a motorcycle at four years old and just rides it. It just doesn't happen. They're taught how to do it. And one of the things you learn on a bicycle or that is how to fall in such a way that you don't get destroyed. It's like if I've got a 10-speed, one of my old 10-speeds had front and back brakes, and if you only use the front brakes and you grab them too fast, what happened to you? You got tossed over the front. Front brakes are an important part of slowing down really quickly, but you must use the back brakes together, otherwise things go bad in a big hurry. How do you learn how to do that? How do you learn how to feather those two brakes? Well, first off, you make some mistakes. And you learn how to correct, but not in your own ability. You learn because you're growing. In faith, it's a lot like that. Now, how do we walk into the night very slowly, just creep into the night? I think one of the first things, and I know I beat this drum all this time, is that we 
walk away from reading and thinking about God's word. You say, well, it didn't make any sense to me. That's right. It doesn't always make perfect sense. You keep at it. That's what maturity is about. We're learning how to do this, and we need more context. One of the things that happens to us when we keep at it is we start getting context. It's like, where have I heard this thought before? Where have I heard and seen this before? Well, if you haven't been in the Bible, you haven't seen it before. So now it's really the third, fifth, 15th reading of the Bible of God's Word where it starts to do that. I don't even pretend to think that I know everything about every person in this room. I've only known most of the people here for five years. Five years is nothing. Even Karen and I are still learning about each other, even though it's been over 30 years. We have to keep at those relationships. So if we don't and we stop building into the relationship and by reading his word or by praying and talking with God, and by praying with God, I don't mean that we're going to pray fancy, super duper, made for public prayers. We're going to just talk with him and, and have a conversation with him and be generally with him to get to know his prayer, his his personality, the way he works with us. And, and in truth, that is so custom that we have to spend the time to make it happen. I've used this example before. That the God, way God interacts with me is not the way he interacts with other people. Some of you have had personal, you've heard his voice very plainly. He shows me pictures, all this stuff. But how do you learn how to hear him? You get used to doing it. But if you say, oh, I don't hear him very often, and then you give up on the relationship, you, in a way, are going out into the night from the day. So, church, how do we go about doing this? This is really important. We have to learn how to trust in the name of the Lord and in his word. We have to learn how to understand that when he does things with us that don't make any sense to us, that we need to rest in that instead of rebelling immediately. How can this be, Lord? How can one of the twelve that got to spend all this time with Jesus, how can one of them leave the presence of God and say, I want anything to do with it? How can that be? How do we do that? We can do it. And in fact, all the disciples did it just within this week of this happening. They all fled when Jesus was arrested. None of them stayed to fight because they didn't have his spirit inside them, nurturing and leading them and teaching them how to live in the light better all the way through. This is a consistent growth thing. So how do we do this? We apply ourselves to the relationship. We purposefully choose to live in the light. Purposefully choosing to live in the light means that when you're doing something, and you might have been doing it for 25 years, but now you realize that maybe it's not the best possible thing, you start learning how to do it different. 
once God starts talking to you about how to do something, apply yourself on how to do it. And you're not going, this is not in your own ability, but this is God correcting and teaching and working on it in your life consistently that we as believers can learn from the disciples. We have an advantage on them. We have the Spirit of God with us. And so we have a chance to walk in the light and not flee into the darkness at the first or second or third sign of trouble. Actually, the longer we stay in the light during those signs of trouble, the stronger we become reliant on him. Let's do that, church. Let's become reliant on him in those tough times, not reliant upon ourselves. Self-reliance, while might be American to think about, is not a Christian concept. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for working in our lives, for gathering us together in this body that you call yours, for bringing us to a spot where we could learn how to rely on you and delve into the relationship that that brings with it. Guide us, strengthen us, strengthen our hands and our feet for the process in front of us. Guide us to be your people, Lord Jesus. In your precious name, amen.